This is the Bainwell Podcast with Marty Solomon. I'm his co-host, Brent Billings. Today, we explore Marty's spiritual practices and see what has changed or evolved for him over the last seven years since we first talked about this. Yeah, we talked about this back in episode 24, Brent Billings. That was a long time ago. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm stretching it just slightly to say seven years, but I I feel justified. Well, I mean, you because <laughs> it's not like you developed it for that episode. Like, really, I it's, certainly did. It's not. probably a lot more than seven years. Yeah, I mean, you, your intro even says like, "What's changed or evolved?" And my answer to that, just right off the bat, is not much. Um, I mean, I have done. Okay, well, thanks for joining us on the Baymo Podcast. <laughs> we'll talk to you. <laughs> oh, that's so great. Yeah, no, I I have not. I've been doing the same thing since 2008, for the most part, like little maybe tweaks or nuances. I might change the order based on what's happening with my life or where my children are at and how their school routine in the morning impacts my own or like I might have made some little changes. But the the things I do and the way that I do them have not changed since 2008. And that's part of what I love about spiritual practice. And I wouldn't say this has to be true for everybody else, but... What I love about spiritual practice is the the rhythm. What was the word that Josh and Elle used at the end of session six? Tamid, the not Talmid, but Tamid, T-A-M-I-D, this sense of rhythm and continu- this continually, continually, continually. I, I'm, a, I'm an anxious person, and um, in, in large ways, and I don't mean this in a flippant way at all, like I really believe that if I didn't have some of these things in my life, I would... I would very easily probably be probably medicated for my anxiety. Um, I'm an anxious person. It's a it's a reality in my life. And part of uh, a certain kind of spiritual medication, and I don't say that because that's how you're supposed to deal with it. No, 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 no. I'm not against any of that stuff. I'm not against good therapy. I'm not against medication. Those are all warranted in a million ways. But in my particular story, I think a part of what keeps me grounded and emotionally, mentally, and spiritually healthy is having the same routine that I've been doing for years and years and years. There's something about rhythm and faithfulness, and it, it feeds and heals my soul. Like I'm a contr- my anxiety comes out in my own experience as control. Like I'm a control freak. And I've had to figure out how to let some of that go. And part of the reason I've been able to find the freedom to let things go out of my control is because there's a part of my life that I can control. There's a part of my life that I can structure. There's a part of my life that generally speaking goes exactly as I want it to go every single day. And I may feel God in that space and I may not feel God for months or years in that space, but I go back to that space to quote episode 24, because I believe that by creating that space every morning, fruits born out of that. I I create that space and God fills it and God does something with that faithfulness and something is produced spiritually according to kingdom metrics in my life. And um, so, yeah, there's not a lot that that has changed. And so I I love your joke about thanks for joining us on the podcast. And my follow up to that is actually I'm thrilled to talk about it again. Because we recorded that episode, it's it's a more popular episode that we have on the Baymont podcast, and yet I get asked that question almost everywhere that I go, like all throughout book tour, um, 
when I do, when I, when I go visit and do meet and greets and we do Q and A's sometimes on our live streams, like there, there are often questions about what does your daily spiritual practice look like? So obviously one Bayma podcast episode back in 2016, 2017, uh, didn't cut it. It didn't answer everybody's questions. So why not just keep <laughs> talking about it? Because yeah. what more beautiful thing to talk about? I mean, that's it. Like I'm the president of Impact Campus Ministries. Our definition of success is the thing that we say, like it rules the day. And that definition of success talks about success is developing intimacy with God. That's it. That's the only thing that you and I can control. We can't control anything else. God's going to bear the fruit. I can't control the fruit. I don't bear the fruit. The only thing I can control is abiding in the vine, John 15, growing in intimacy with Jesus, these are the things I can control. So if that's what we talk about seven, eight times on the Bayma podcast, I'm going to be just fine because that's it. That's it. Not the Jewish hermeneutic, not all that kind of stuff. Knowing Jesus, pursuing Jesus, everything else kind of facilitates that greater thing. And I said that in my book too. So I, I, I'm, I'm just fine. I, I'm just fine. But I think I'd start with this, uh, Brent, when I think about my, my spiritual practice. I did a video a little while ago, just a few, two years ago. I don't know, but there was a video on YouTube and it was a thought of the day video. And I think I called it the two hands of faith or something like that. Yeah. Two hands of faith. And uh, we're going to link that in the show notes. Um, but I was, I was basically talking about, uh, Richard Rohr's book called the universal Christ, um, which I didn't realize how, uh, the title may be misleading. It's not a book on universalism. It's a book on how <laughs> <laughs> the Christ, the Christ idea, the idea of the Christ is much bigger and much more encompassing than the narrow view that we usually have of it. And I didn't realize how quoting Richard Rohr would be so um, electrifying. I got a lot of people very upset because obviously uh, Richard Rohr is a heretic. I'm sure because he's a Catholic and a mystic. Both of those things get you in trouble for us. Um, that's me being sarcastic, everybody. Um, definitely lit a fire. So just a warning that if Richard Rohr is on your heretic list, don't go watch the video. But one of the things that came out of that video, <laughs> one of the things that came out of that video was, um, why am I, why am I talking about this book by a more, by a more mystical thinker like Marty? You're so historical. And because these two realities have always been so important to me. Um, and I talk about this in the, in the first chapter of my book. Um, there, are, the person of Jesus has been real because I've known Jesus on a contemplative level. My earliest mentors taught me about contemplation, about prayer, about listening for God, about not text, not Judaism, not history, none of that stuff that's in the Bema podcast. They taught me about Jesus, the living, breathing, spirit-filled experience of the person of Christ. Like, that's what they taught me about. And I had that before I learned about Judaism, before I learned about, before I went to Israel, before I was working with Ray. I had, I had the experience of Jesus first. And the two things, when I think about spiritual practice, one of the things that you'll notice, I'm about ready to kind of like walk us through what I do every single day. And hopefully one of the things that you'll see in this list of practices is there's a mixture of very cerebral, objective, textual, academic, intellectual practices. 
And then there's a whole another half of my practices are cerebral, or excuse me, not cerebral, contemplative, um, more mystical. And so in that video, I talk about the two hands of faith, the right hand and the left hand. And and for me, the right hand might symbolize the the cerebral, the academic, the 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 objective things you can dig out of the dirt, the real history, the stuff you read about in books. And then there's the left hand of faith, which is the mystical, the contemplative, the mystery, uh, like this, this experience that we have with the person of Jesus. And I think most of us lean towards one side, one hand or the other. I know I left my own devices, would just lean towards the right hand of faith, the cerebral, give me a book to read, give me data to learn. That's me. I want the objective. I want the, and I will neglect the more contemplative, the mystery. However, other, other Christians would lean the other direction. They would lean towards the mystery. They'd lean towards what the spirit is telling them. They'd lean, and it's unchecked by the objective the the data the right hand of faith so for me healthy faith and healthy spiritual practice and healthy spiritual formation is driven by both hands of faith together right hand and left hand objective subjective thinker feeler data mystery information power like it's it's these it's these two things held in tension paradoxical tension that makes spiritual spiritual formation vibrant real and powerful so i'll pause there brent to see if you have anything that you might add i'm doing a lot of talking here um no not necessarily i um i do think i have some ideas for some other uh links as you go through these practices but yeah oh fun okay well then uh let's just go through a lot of times when people ask me the question of my spiritual practice, they're wanting to know, what do you do? What does your spiritual practice look like? What is your what is your daily quiet time? What what does that look like for you? And so here's what I do <laughs> every I day. I you don't you don't prefer the term quiet time. <laughs> I don't mind it. Um, there was actually an article. Uh, actually, I saw Jen Rosner um, share it uh, on social media. And so um, I, I checked it out. I, I, I got a subscription to Christianity Today. And, uh, and so I read it and it had some good points to make. I struggled with some other points, but actually had some good points to make about, um, how daily quiet time has killed spiritual formation in our era. And, and so I know that there are some people that really bristle against the term. For me, the term is a little fluid and dynamic and it hasn't been this destructive thing in my life. So I don't mind the term, but I I did say it with a tone for all of those that do. So there you go. <laughs> well, and I think part of it is, is it's not just quiet the way you're doing it. So yeah, yeah I'll, I'll let you get into it so we can have all of the things that you do on the table and then we'll talk about them. Yeah. So my daily practice, um, will start, my alarm's going to go off at four 30. I may hit the snooze a couple of times. I'm a snoozer. I hit the, I'm up by five. I have a second alarm that I actually have to get up for. <laughs> And if I don't get up to shut it off, it's going to wake up everybody in the house. So I have I have a second alarm in another part of the room. So I, I don't want to give the wrong impression. I might it might be four fifty by the time I actually climb out of bed. I don't know, but my alarm goes off at four thirty four thirty five o'clock. I get up, um, and my my practice is going to take me till eight thirty. I'll be done with my whole discipline pursuit 
uh, at 8.30 a.m. So we're talking about three and a half hours here of of different things. So while I'm getting around for the day, so while I'm brushing my teeth or shaving my head, I, I have a couple of blessings that I recite uh, every day. Just a few blessings that I want to have on mind, make sure I can recite at any moment. Um, one of them is, I mean, obviously I'm saying Shema every morning. I have a messianic blessing that I just keep in the back of my mind for whatever such occasion. I have uh, the Aaronic blessing that I like to recite every day just in case I feel like God ever invites me to recite that. It's always ready to go and top of my mind. I recite those in the Hebrew and the English. I'll jump in the shower. While I'm in the shower, one of the things I do is I recite my my life psalm. So I have a, a life psalm. I'm not going to tell you what it is because that's how that works. So I have a psalm that I recite every single day. It's my psalm between me and God. We did talk about that at some point in an episode, right? How we did. I could not, I could not tell you exactly where that showed up, but we did talk about it. I feel like it's probably uh, in the crucifixion scene. I don't believe so because we did the last week so funky when we went through session session three. We didn't go through the crucifixion scene. <sighs> In the same way we did in John, it may have been in our John series. It would have been more recently in session six, but yeah, I feel like we, if I can figure out what episode we talked about, I'll link that. Okay. I don't know that I'll be able to find it because so far my notes and transcripts and everything have, I've come up empty. Yeah. I have, that, but, yeah. I, I have not done the transcript yet where we've talked about it. I can tell you that much. And I'm almost done with session three. So, okay, well, there you go. So I'll recite that. To what, before I get out of the shower, I will have like I'll 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 do what I would call daily mikvah, which is the last thing I do when I get out of the shower is I'm going to ask God to cleanse my mind and I'll let you know I'll kind of let the water uh, run and run over my head, um, and I'll say God cleanse my mind so that my thoughts would be Your thoughts. Um, I actually added a line to the Jewish prayer. I say God, would You cleanse my mouth? that your words would be upon my lips. I added that line because my whole life is about the words that I speak, podcasting, YouTubing, phone calls, conversation, words are my life. And so I want that to be something that I pray about with God. I pray that God would cleanse my heart, that my desires would be his desires, that I would want the things that he wants. And then I say, I steal this prayer from Hudson Taylor. Hudson Taylor had this prayer. Um, Thanks to Jim Fight for connecting me to this to this book. But um, uh, Hudson Taylor had this prayer that, that he said, God, today, this morning, I ask that you would keep my heart. Um, I give you my heart to keep. He gave his heart every day to God. And, and I loved that because I know what I've learned in therapy is that if I try to protect my heart, if I try to protect my own heart, that will be driven by fear and insecurity. And if I try to protect my own heart from fear and insecurity, I am going to do stupid things and I'm going to hurt people. So every morning I pray that God would, I give my heart to God. I say, God, I need you to take this. I need you to keep it so that I can trust when I find myself in a moment, I don't need to protect myself because Jesus has got my heart. He's got it. So I don't need to protect me. I can, I can try to die to myself and serve other people. And then I pray that God would cleanse my hands, that I would do the things that he has for me. And I pray that God would cleanse my feet, that I would walk in his ways, that my halach would be found in his derech. So halach is walk, derech is path, so that my walk would be found on his path, that when he looks today, my feet would be among the ones that he finds walking on his path. So 
that's a prayer that I, I, I say, and those are the things that I, I do. I get out of the shower, I get out to my office, and I begin memorizing the skeleton of the Bible. What do I mean by that? It took me about two years back in 2008, but somewhere in the middle of 2010, I had memorized all the subtitles of the NIV, the old NIV 84 study Bible. So it took me a long time. Um, and I'm, I'm sure I have a mind that enjoys memorization. So I'm sure other people would take twice as long. But for me, it took a couple, two and a half, two, two and a half years. I memorized all the subtitles of the NIV study Bible. So now what I do is every morning I go out and I ask Siri to pick a number between one and 66. And I have all the books of the Bible on a little digital post-it note. Whatever number she picks, that's the book of the Bible that I, 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 you know, whatever it is. What was it this morning? Um, it was First uh, Kings this morning. So there's 22 chapters in First Kings. So I put 22 spots on my whiteboard and I recite all the subtitles of of First Kings. So um, that's that's that part of the practice. Can can we just try this right now, Marty? First uh, Kings. Let's let's see if let's see if this works. No 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 no. no. I'm gonna. We, you've already done that. Let's see here. Oh come on, give me one that's fresh. If it's really bad, I'm not gonna be able. To, oh goodness gracious, Brent Billings. Let's see what happens. Go for it. Hey Siri, pick a random number between one and sixty-six. Jesus be with me. I didn't speak it, of course. But number is fifty-four. Fifty-four. That's gonna be which book, Brent? Do you have? That's gonna be Second Thessalonians. Oh well, that's a pretty easy one. That's got three chapters in it. Aha! The Lord is with you, Marty. I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm gonna remember. Second Thessalonians is pretty obscure. I'm not sure. I'm gonna remember. It's got three chapters. It's going to say. It's going to be, let's see, chapter one. Um, is it going to be Thanksgiving and prayer? Uh, oh, see, I'm going to do better if it's First Thessalonians. Uh, Thanksgiving and prayer followed by um, chapter two, I know, is man of lawlessness. Is it going to be Thanksgiving and prayer and then standing firm? Well, I only have the new NIV and there's there's only the one subtitle in the first chapter. So, so far you got it. Okay. And then chapter two, man of lawlessness. Yep. And standing firm. Yep. Okay. Chapter three is going to be um, uh, a warning about idleness and a call to prayer. Mm-hmm. And then final... Is it exhortations or instructions? Final greetings is what I have. Okay, final but again, greetings. New NIV versus old NIV. I don't know for sure. Well, there you go, ladies and gentlemen. That's the idea. That's the skeleton. The God did smile upon me. I'm glad you didn't say Isaiah. I would have been like, that's it. Cut. <laughs> yeah, I probably would have just abandoned the idea at that point. <laughs> we don't need this episode to be that long. Oh, that's great. This is sabbatical after all. It's supposed to that's not be right. a burden, right? That's right. All right. So that's memorizing the skeleton of the Bible. So I do that. And then I'll move over I to... I also think this might be a good time to point out, you have a, an even older video where I you do. go through your spiritual practices. And I think maybe seeing this yes. particular practice yeah. in video form might help people understand what's going on as well. So I'm going to link that. Ugh, that's an old video, but yeah, go ahead. It's... <laughs> I'll give you permission. Yikes. Um, let's see here. And then, so after I'm done doing that, I'm going to move over to writing out the text. And there's a, even another video, Brent, that I did about this recently when I got done writing out the Nevaim. I, I've written out all of Torah and I've written out all of the prophets and I'm in the writings now. Um, I'm in the book of Job as we record this. And, um, but I will write out essentially one page of text uh, uh, every day. So I just, I type it out. Almost every disciple I've had 
my wife, my children, they prefer to write it out by hand. Uh, I've only had one, one disciple, Chris Marshall, who typed it along with me, but every other disciple I've had has preferred to write it with a pen. Wow. And I don't know if you count me because I haven't really been in that same kind of relationship as your other disciples, but I definitely type when I do this. Boom. There you go. Well, I, I prefer it that way. Um, and that's what I do. I, I type out just under a page, just under a page of text um, every day. And again, it's one more way to get God's text in me. Um, after that, I memorize the text. Right now, I do this with, with my son. He's getting ready for his bar mitzvah. We 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 memorize scripture every morning. So we're going to we're going to go in, in, into uh, uh, our own little space. My wife and Abby, they do their disciplines in another space of the house. We go into our own space and we take about 10 minutes and we memorize. So we have a weekly portion. So for Zeke, that might be a paragraph, maybe two. And for me, it's about four paragraphs. And um, so I will on Monday memorize paragraph one. And then on Tuesday, I will I will add paragraph two. So I will, I will be able to memorize paragraph one and two. I can recite first two paragraphs. Then on Wednesday, I'm going to add paragraph three. So I should be able to recite three paragraphs. And then on Thursday, I'm going to add paragraph four. And it's going to be, it's going to be kind of messy. Like we're starting to stretch what I can do. And then Friday, it's perfect because on Friday, I'm going to take the whole passage and I'm just going to clean it up. And make sure I can recite it. And then if Zeke and I can recite our passages to each other, we're going we're gonna to recite our portion every day. And at the end of the week, we should be able to do the whole portion. And then if we can do that, then we set it aside. And the next week, we pick up where we left off and we keep going. What I'm trying to say is we stack every day for a week, but we don't stack every week onto itself. So I stack day two, three, day one, two, three, four review on day five, and then I move it out of the way. And the next week, I do not try to stack and add the next week's portion onto last week's portion. This is one of the things that Ray Vanderlaan taught me that was so freeing and enabled me to like, Ray said, Marty, you've done your work. You've put the text in you. If God wants you to remember that, it's the Holy Spirit's job to bring it back, but you've done your work to put it inside of you. And I thought, what a brilliant, beautiful way to phrase that. And it was such a freeing concept. And so that's how I memorize. I've memorized, since 2008, I've memorized Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Uh, not not Luke, excuse me. Matthew, Mark, and John. I've memorized, uh, I'm just, I just finished up, this is today, Brent, I finished up Genesis. Today. Uh, I just finished up Genesis today. It's actually fun to, I didn't realize I was going to be recording on today. Uh, I finished Genesis today. I've done Leviticus. I've done Deuteronomy. Um, I've done, um, let's see here, Obadiah. I did Ob- I did stack Obadiah. It was short enough. I'm like, I want to be able to recite the whole book of Obadiah. <laughs> so I think I took one month and I did the whole book of Obadiah. Hmm. Um, and then I did Nahum. Nahum was another short prophet. So it took me about three months, but I stacked the entire book of Nahum. Nahum. So um, that was great. I don't know what my next book is going to be. It's going to be the next shortest book in the Old Testament. So I'll have to find out what that is. And that will be where I head next week. So you're bouncing back and forth between a longer book and a shorter book. Uh, So what I do because of the nature of the Bible is I do a New Testament book, an Old Testament book, and an Old Testament book. I do one and then two. And I do that so I can cover both. And I wanted to start with Gospels and Torah. So I started with the Gospel of John because that felt like a very Christian thing to do back in 2008. 
I didn't really know any better. And I just thought everybody starts with John, me too. And then I went to Deuteronomy because it was the most quoted book by Jesus. So I, I thought that would be a great place to start. So I did Deuteronomy and then I did Obadiah and then I jumped back to Matthew and then I went to Leviticus and then I did Nehum and then I went to Mark and then I went to Genesis and that's where I've been. So over the course of 15 years, Brent, I've only made it to whatever that is, seven books or whatever. Um, but I do it every day. I do it every day. And it's some of the most fulfilling, uh, beautiful work that Jesus does in my heart. So that's what I do. Well, and I'll say your encouragement to do that, uh, pays dividends in my household. Yeah. Unfortunately, not as much in my life, which is shameful in so many ways, because I'm actually pretty good at memorizing. If I just do it, I just don't have yeah. the discipline. But my wife, after the 2016 trip, she came home and started memorizing Ooh. and she has done all of Genesis and she's a good chunk through Exodus as well. Oh. So, well, that's beautiful. Uh, it's actually really meaningful to hear that. That's fantastic. Go Maggie. Woo. Indeed. Um, let's see here. So after I memorize a text, I'll spend 15 to 20 minutes sitting in con contemplative silence, like just sitting, listening for the voice of Jesus. When I say that, I'm not like listening, like listening, like every moment, like listening, listen, listen. I just mean I'm quieting myself so that if Jesus wants to say anything, I might hear it. It's almost like that sitting out by the lake we talked about in episode 24. It's like a small... 20 minute version of that. And a lot of that space is me just reminding myself. Sometimes I just repeat a mantra. My therapist told me to repeat this actually. Years ago, I had a therapist when I was in Northern Idaho. And she said, every day you need to sit for 20 minutes and you just need to remind yourself and repeat to yourself, I am not valuable because of what I accomplished today. I am not valuable because of what I produced today. My value and my worth does not come because of what I do today. Um, it's very Sabbathy. It's very trust the story e, and that's what I do in that. And I have my kids join me in that. A because it's beautiful. B it teaches them how to have a more spiritual consciousness, like a like an awareness of the Holy Spirit. It's not something that I think comes naturally for a thirteen year old today. Um, and 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 also like I just don't feel like children today. Like we don't facilitate and challenge them to be able to just sit still for twenty minutes with no screens, no noise, no activity, just sit and be quiet. I think that is actually super formative for my children. So they joined me in that. Congratulations on not using the term quiet time at any point during that practice. <laughs> I do have a little time of devotional reading. Uh, it might be poetry. It might be, it's, it's, it's not a book. It'll be something that's short, bite-sized, like I said, poems or something like that. I'll, I'll do that for just sit and think about a poem for five, 10 minutes. And then I will close off my time. Usually that's about seven, seven twenty when I'm getting done. And for the next hour till eight 30, I'm going to sit down and read whatever it is that I'm studying. I'm going to read about the Bible. So I'm not reading the Bible. I'm reading about the Bible. I'm reading my books, my, whatever it might be. I always have a book that I'm reading going through. Obviously there's my Goodreads account and I'm always reading something. And so I spend an hour just reading as a part of my spiritual practice. So that's it, Brent. That's what I do every single day. Um, if I'm at home, I do that from, what, 4.35 a.m. to uh, 8.30 uh, a.m. every single day and basically have minor changes here or there. Basically done that since 2008. If I travel, 
I don't do my disciplines. Um, uh, it's just not something that I do. My one discipline when I'm on the road, if I'm if I'm staying in a hotel, if I'm away from home and I'm working, um, again, I, I'm an anxious person. I'm socially anxious. Um, being on the road is – I spend all my time simply trying to get good rest, wake up, and spend healthy time just being present. If I'm on the road, that's my one spiritual discipline. It's the only spiritual discipline I hold because I realized that if I was trying to memorize on the road, it was not healthy for me. I, I did. I wasn't memorizing well. I wasn't fully present. I just got mad at myself and had all of this guilt and shame that I couldn't memorize. And I said, you know what? Because of who I am, I know myself and I know what Jesus has taught me about me. I just need to be my being present when I am not at home and I am in an unusual situation. And my anxiety is through the roof. Just being healthy and being present is enough. And so it looks different when I'm on the road. And um, so if you're ever on a trip with me and you're expecting me to get up at 4.30 in the morning, you're like, he's such a hypocrite. He doesn't do that. I don't if I'm not at home. Um, now, if you come stay at my house, you'll see you'll see exactly uh, the opposite. But if I'm on the road... I bail on the disciplines for my own spiritual and emotional and mental well-being. It's it's my it's my discipline when I'm away. That if people stay at your house is not an invitation. It is a it is not. It is a theoretical thing that you can just imagine what it might be like. If you lived in an alternate universe where you were at my yeah, that's good. I like that. Appreciate the Brent having my back there. <laughs> Um, let's see here. I'm looking through my, one of my favorite books, Brent, we'll put this in the show notes of uh, finding our way again by Brian McLaren, another heretic. So we're just hitting all the heretics. Maybe I can find out a way to talk about Rob Bell in this episode, <laughs> but Brian, thank you for laughing at that. Consider the ways, um, <laughs> but I am looking through one of my favorite books called finding our way again by Brian McLaren. It's one of my favorite books on spiritual practice. And on page, I don't know, 95 of my copy, my edition. 95 and 96, he has a list of spiritual disciplines. That's one of my favorites. And so I'm just looking through to see if there's anything here that I've forgotten. Um, solitude and Sabbath and silence, spiritual reading and study. We've got that spiritual direction. I have a spiritual director right now. Um, sometimes I, I'm in therapy with my therapist. Um, those have been great seasons and essential for my well-being. And I consider it a spiritual practice, to be quite honest. I do it every two years. Um and then if I'm not doing that, or maybe sometimes along with my therapist, uh, clinical therapy, I also have a spiritual director, which is a completely different kind of relationship. But right now I have a spiritual director. He is awesome. And I have loved that relationship. Um, practicing God's presence. Um, practicing the presence of God by Brother Lawrence. You could put that in the show notes, Brent. Practicing the Presence of God by Brother Lawrence, a short little old – it's a Christian classic written by a monk, Brother Lawrence, and he wrote this small, small little book, but power-packed and very popular. Uh, fixed Hour Prayer, we do that at All Staff Conference, Brent. What does that look like when we do it? What's Fixed Hour Prayer look like when we're at All Staff Conference? Everybody sets alarms for, I believe we start at 9 a.m. and then we do every three hours. So noon, 3 p.m., 6 p.m. And at, do we? Yeah, I guess 9 p.m. would still apply as well. Uh-huh. So it's just every three hours, uh, regardless of what we're doing, regardless of where we are. Uh, it's kind of fun to have like 30 phone alarms going off at the same time. Yep. Um, but we all stop and and we just take a minute or two to pray. Yeah. 
and not a long time, just a short little prayer. Sometimes it can even just be the Lord's Prayer. It just gives you a moment to stop and spiritually recenter yourself. I love that. Uh, prayer journaling. Ugh, I have a lot of prayer journals, but man, do I struggle with prayer journaling. Um, but it's a practice. Uh, contemplative prayer. Talked about that. Service and secrecy and generosity. I like that. Simplicity and slowness. You ever just go through your closet and get rid of crap? Have you ever just gone through your house and you're like, I have so much crap <laughs> that I just need to like make a run to the thrift store because a lot of this stuff needs to go. My life is too cluttered. That can be a spiritual discipline. Uh, simplicity and slowness. Fasting and self-denial. I think I think I heard that L might be doing an episode on fasting, maybe. Yeah, coming up, coming up after this. Yeah. We've talked about fasting before. Brent, I don't know if we have access to that sermon I did on fasting. It's one of my favorite. Uh, it was one of the most. It was one of the last sermons I did in Moscow. But if you could dig that up, I believe I have it. Yeah, uh, put that in the show notes too. That'll save us some time from talking about that because I really liked that sermon. It was fun. Um, holy days and seasons, whether it's Lent and Advent or the Jewish calendar for us, that's a spiritual practice. Submission. Ooh, submission. Have you ever been in a spot where you? Don't say yes to this, Brent. Um, have you ever been in a spot where you have to like work for this boss that you're just like, man, I cannot stand this, this, uh, just uh, everything about this. I just want to, but it's not immoral or unethical. You just don't like it. And so you just kind of like, I'm going to put myself in a season of submission. That can be deeply spiritually transformative. Again, not, not if it's immoral or, un- or unethical or abusive, but if it's just not your cup of tea or... You're just not able, it's your circumstances you're in and you submit to what is it, God, you're wanting to teach me in this trial? That's that's a that's a discipline of submission. You did uh, recently throw a book on your Goodreads called How to Be a Great Boss. And I saw you starting to read it. I was like, oh, that's interesting. Then you rated it three stars. And I was like, I don't know what that means. It means I'm not, I'm, I didn't get, I didn't get to be a great boss, maybe a good boss, maybe not. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> Uh, the the discipline of gratitude, the discipline of meditation and memorization. We covered uh, a lot of these. Anyway, those are those are from that book, uh, finding our way again. Um, but yeah, I think that's the end of my notes. What kind of things came up for you, Brent? Anything at all before we get out of here? Yeah, I was wondering what um, if you if you can talk about. It. You said you know there were times where you didn't feel like God was in the space, um, and not that He wasn't there, but just like. Right. Like some, sometimes you have this, you know, more directly felt, uh, dividend on making this space for God. And then other times you feel like I'm doing it, but I don't feel like anything's happening. You said, you said, uh, that that has happened for days at a time or even years at a time. Are you, did you mean literal years at a time where you didn't feel like anything was coming out of that or? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a normal, I think that's a normal Christian experience. Um, I think it's normal. And I think we don't think it's normal. And I think that's a tragedy because we then judge um, the effectiveness of practice and spiritual formation by a metric that was never meant to be used. I think, I think faithfulness, I think we read these stories of characters in the Bible and because the story moves from one page to the next. We miss the fact that there's 17 years in between that story and that story. And that doesn't mean that it was 17 years of not experiencing God. I'm not necessarily saying that, but our spiritual walk 
is one where we walk. And sometimes we go through whole seasons of our life where God just doesn't feel nearly as present. We know intellectually he is. We know. And so we sing and we worship and we attend small group and we have meaningful relationships and we do the walk of faithfulness and we just don't feel the summer camp high. I think that's that's actually normal. And I love to talk about it because I think we should have like an intimate embrace of those seasons. This is, and I think we freak out. I think we, we feel like we're spiritually failing. I think we, I think we, we sense spiritual drought and we panic and we judge it and we judge ourselves. And we, rather than just going, no, all, all the great people of faith would have had seasons that weren't necessarily like their greatest spiritual season ever. And you just keep walking in faithfulness. And then one day the spirit of God shows up in some fresh new way and it's beautiful and it's glorious. And maybe you ride the wave for a week or a month or maybe even years, but the same is also true for drought. And that's not a sign of the absence of God. It's not a sign of your failure and spiritual formation. And that's what I love about discipline. Discipline gives me something to do almost as an act of defiant. See, I, I see all of a sudden you're going to make me emotional. Um, doing the spiritual disciplines is like a defiant act of rebellion when I can't sense the work of God and its immediacy in my life. It's like me showing up and saying, you know, not today, Satan. Like it's me showing up and saying, I am going to be here and I'm going to do this and I'm going to love God whether I feel it or I don't. And I think of that great quote from season three of The Chosen. I don't, Jesus says, I don't need you to feel anything. I just need you to do the things I asked you to do. And discipline for me is a space where I get to show up and do the thing, no matter how I feel. And I can, and I guess some people would look at it and be like, well, you're just doing it to check it off the box. I mean, that's one way to frame it, I guess. It's not how I frame it. I frame it as I showed up again. I meditated on his law day and night like Psalm 1 told me to. I, this is what I want the path of righteousness to look like. This is what I believe, and I'm going to walk out that belief irrespective of what I feel or what I experience or even at times what I understand. I'm going to show up and do this because this is what I understand intimacy with Jesus to look like. And uh, so, yes, I would say I'm trying to think of where I'm at right now in my life, Brent, right now. I'm about ready to, as we record this, I'm about ready to walk in sabbatical. I think the book has been a very spiritually invigorating season. So I wouldn't say I'm in a drought, but I would not say Since the pandemic, since 2019, 2020, I would not say I've been like in the spiritual high. I've struggled at work. I've struggled in me developing as a leader. My family is thriving, which is what can be so disorienting. Sometimes you're you're thriving at work and your family is struggling. Sometimes your family is thriving and there's this other part of you that is struggling. I would not say I've been in this spiritual high for two or three years. I think right now I'm kind of in a little bit of a nice little bump right now. Like I'm experiencing some fun things, life-giving. I feel spiritually alive. I'm very optimistic about my sabbatical, like very, very optimistic. 
Um, but yeah, years, yes, years, literal years to answer that question. That was a really long way to answer that question, but yeah. Uh, and, and frankly, I'm passionate about that truth. Um, I want to be faithful when I don't feel it even more than when I do. Uh, so those, those are my thoughts. And maybe this is a heretical theorization on my part. Um, but I wonder if, if Jesus had a time like this, like, you know, he walks into the temple at 12 and he's dazzling everyone and he's got to just like when, when they find him there and take him out, like, what are you doing? You got to stay with us. And he, like, he's got to be just buzzing at that point because he's sure, you know, doing all this stuff. And then it's another, yep. uh, what, 20, uh, the math, 18 years. Sorry, yep. the math is yep. <laughs> difficult apparently. Uh, yeah, another 18 years before he actually begins his formal ministry. So like what is going on? We have yeah. we have absolutely no record of that. It's completely theoretical. Yep. And you know, you can we talk about Philippians 2, blah, 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 like whatever. You can believe you whatever you want. But I just wonder if Jesus had a time where he's like, you know, I thought I was getting things started there for a minute and nothing's been happening. And like, how much does Jesus control that? Like he, he just says he's doing the will of the father. So if he's listening to the father yep. and the father hasn't said go, then Jesus has got to start to be wondering like, okay, well, when it, when is it then? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, <laughs> you know, yeah. I think you're spot on, Brent. I don't think it's radical at all. Um, Hebrews tells us he he's undergone every tempt every temptation that we've ever experienced. He he suffered to show us how to suffer. He knows what it is to walk the human experience. I I have to believe if I trust in the words of the book of Hebrews that Jesus in in at least general broad strokes knows what it is to to taste spiritual drought and to be perfectly faithful in it anyway. And uh so I think the answer to that is yes. So uh Maybe what is what does it feel like to come out of a space like that where you're not feeling it and then you begin like is it is it like a is it a momentary thing where it's just one day it's just like whoa I I don't I haven't felt that in a while or is it a more gradual thing and then you look back on it and you're like oh yeah I see how how like I've been slowly drawing closer to God and feeling more and more connected over the last year or whatever or, or probably both, I'm guessing. Yeah, it can be anything. It can be a slow, gradual. It's kind of like like when I was just considering my last year. I think my last year has been that. No drastic, you know, um, you know, mic drop moments where anything radically changed. But it can be. It can be a it can be a, a, a radical spiritual experience that you have um that totally just unlocks something. Uh it can also be a, a like a more cataclysmic life moment. Like something happens, a tragedy or a, a triumph or, or something in your life, not really necessarily a spiritual contemplative reality, but more of like a physical circumstances that radically changes your spiritual orientation and formation. Um, it can it can be so many things and it can be anything and it can be immediate and and significant and drastic. It can be slow and gradual, it can be immediate and gradual. It can be slow and drastic. It, it can be any of those combinations. And I, I just, I, I keep thinking of Ray uh, teaching us about the desert and how valuable the desert is, those times of spiritual drought. And Ray would say, so do you pray for deserts? If deserts can be so transformative, do you pray for deserts? Do you pray for deliverance? What do you pray for? And he says, my rabbis taught me to pray for deliverance. Um, you don't pray for deserts and you don't pray for triumph. You just pray 
that you would be obedient with whatever God wants to hand you. And uh, I think I see that in the Lord's Prayer too. So um, I love that. Okay. One last practical question, then we'll close this out. Um, You talked about in your practice of memorization, you, at the end of the week, you do the recitation with your son, Zeke. Um, What did you do before your kids were at the point where they were memorizing with you? Uh, Do you always have somebody that you do the recitation to? Uh, Is it possible to do it on your own? Would you encourage somebody to find somebody to do that with if they don't have somebody? Like, talk to me about some different... uh, the practicalities of of that. It's always better when you have somebody. It's better for lots of reasons. A, everything is better when you're when you have inter interpersonal connectedness. Um, but B, obviously the accountability is better when you're literally accountable to somebody else. Have I always had it? No. Have I had it most of the time? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe half and half over the last 15 years. Um, when I don't have it, I just recite it to myself and me and Jesus, and we hold each other accountable there. Um well, more like he holds me accountable, but you get the idea. Uh, and then <laughs> Jesus has already proven he knows his text. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, but uh, but but I have had era. There was about two years where Josh Gray was one of the pastors at the church where we were at in Northern Idaho, and he was a good friend of mine. And we would set up for church. Um, we we were we kind of had we didn't have a church building. We would set up chairs and and he we would show up and. And we'd get everything set up in the lobby and he would come over. He'd say, lay it on me. Let me, let me hear your recitation. And, and I remember that because there was a season there where I was, I was stacking the whole Sermon on the Mount. I wanted to be able to quote the Sermon on the Mount from beginning to end. And so that took me about two months to do. And then one month just to recite it. After all that work, I was like, I want to recite it, which meant that Josh had to sit there and listen to me recite for about 18 minutes every Sunday morning. <laughs> um, but it was, it was, it was so much better doing it that way. And, uh, was it was it was forming for him to see that and to hear that coming out of me. It was great for me to be able to dynamically do that with another person. And yeah, whenever you can have that in your life, do it. Like it'll be so much better than on your own for sure. Always. Okay. Well, hopefully between this episode, which we are recording quite early because of your sabbatical, so we don't know what uh, the other hosts are going to talk about. But hopefully between these four episodes, like we've got some pretty good ideas out there. And if you um needed some encouragement or some inspiration on how to develop your own spiritual practice, your own Sabbath practice. Like uh, I've got a lot of, a lot of options on the table at least. And let me, let me say this as you say that Brent, and hopefully people haven't turned the episode off yet. This is just my experience. Your goal is not to replicate my experience. I do a lot. You probably won't be called to do everything that I do three and a half, four hours of spiritual disciplines in the morning. Probably not what you're going to be called to do. Um, maybe you are. Maybe you'll be called to do whatever, even more. It's not about the quantity. It's about the quality. It's not about the quantity. It's about the quality. It's not about the quantity. It's about the quality. You put two or three disciplines in your life. Doesn't matter if Marty does seven or eight. You do two or three. They will. You create space for God. He will fill it. So this is not about, please do not hear this as you all should be doing what I do. No, 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 no. This is simply what Marty does. And it may inspire you to do whatever little thing that God might call you to do. That's what's important. Quality, not quantity. Quality. I love it. Well, we've got we've got a few more things to talk about um, as far as Sabbath practice. So we're not done with this conversation, but um, that's kind of the baseline we're working from. Um, tons of links uh, for today's episode. Go to baymossdiscipleship.com. Check out the show notes for this episode. 
uh, you know, I was thinking, I double checked the transcript for episode 24. I was like, maybe we talked about life Psalms there, but no, we apparently we did not. Nope. So I don't know if I can find that I'll, I'll throw it in there once again, but, um, no luck on that yet. Um, but yeah, all that stuff's on the website in the show notes, check all that stuff out. Thanks for joining us on the Bayball podcast. We will talk to you again soon. <laughs>